Hello, everyone, and we are live. Welcome back to Staking Mondays. My name is Ken. I'm here with the co-founder of Staking Rewards, Mirko Schmiedel. And today we have with us Michael Kong, the CEO and CIO of Phantom Foundation. Phantom is an alternative layer one EVM blockchain and one of the first to launch liquid staking on a protocol level. So, Michael, let's jump right into it. Some lightning round questions for you. Uh, what was your first investment outside of BTC and Ethereum and why? Probably like uh, the DAO token, if you guys remember that from 2016. <laughs> a little bit notorious. Yeah. All right. That's a that's a good one. And uh, what, what do you think currently is the most underrated project in crypto? Well, I'm a little bit biased. So, you know, obviously like number, uh, you know, number one most underrated project is Phantom at the moment. Um, in terms of others, oh, not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> And Michael, which project most inspired the launch of Phantom? Um, pro Ethereum for sure, yeah. Because you know we wanted to have a generalized smart contract platform, but have it like you know on on a on a better consensus engine, faster, cheaper, etc. Cool. And who, who's your personal crypto hero? Who who inspired you? Um, like like in, like inspired me in the early days. Um, yeah, I think in the early days, so like yeah. generally like throughout your crypto journey. Uh, uh, definitely Vitalik, yeah, because what he did, um, you know, constructing the first like smart contract platform was quite innovative. I mean, like there were, there were a number of issues with it, but on the whole, it was something that was very new and definitely like well executed at the time. Vitalik is a very popular answer for that question. I think we had almost every guess except one uh, quote Vitalik. <laughs> Uh, so your personal crypto portfolio, how much percentage-wise is staked? Um, yeah, I, I don't really go into like many details about my personal investments, but you know, I own a bunch of crypto. Some of it staked, some of it not, some of it in DeFi, some of it in other things. Yeah. Fair enough. And what's an activity for you to relax from the wide crypto markets? Uh, swimming, water, water-based sports. Absolutely, I try and swim like every day even if the weather's not that good. Big fan of the water activity, uh, skiing, uh, uh, riding the jet ski, riding a boat, anything like that, yeah. Swimming, free diving, sailing, kayaking, paddle boarding, gonna get into things like kite surfing as well, yeah. Oh, anything cool. really to do with the water. Really cool. Okay, so guys, we're gonna break into the episode here. Uh, today we're gonna talk a lot about uh, native liquid staking, Andre Krohn uh, leaving crypto, EVM and layer two competition and the grand vision of Phantom. And we have a little teaser announcement at the end of the episode as well. So make sure you stay tuned for the whole episode, guys. And, and as a community, as you guys are watching, feel free to ask questions from Michael and we'll ask the community questions at the end of the episode as well. And today's episode is sponsored by Lido Finance. Lido is the market leading liquid staking solution. With Lido, you can stake Ethereum, Solana, and Terra while keeping full liquidity via staking derivatives. These staking derivatives you use in multiple DeFi applications to generate additional yield. So be sure to check out Lido Finance, guys. And all right, let's break right into these long form questions here. Marco, take it away. All right, let's get started. Um, so Phantom is one of the first protocols to natively deploy liquid staking with the SFTM. So what's the uh, design rationale behind it and what are the advantages and disadvantages to compare to like non-native non liquid staking? Like for example, Lido on Ethereum and so on. Um, What's the advantage, disadvantages there for, for Phantom to have it on the, on the protocol level, basically? 
Yeah. Um, so definitely like liquid staking is a very um, powerful sort of like system because essentially the big benefit is that um, without liquid staking, you kind of have like, in terms of like, um, you know, earning returns on say like the FTM, um, there's, there's generally like two broad ways. Uh, one is via like staking on the network. So that's participating in proof of consensus, um, either like running your own validator node or delegating to a validator node where the validator gets um, 50% of the earnings, but you, you keep the other 85%. You don't have to worry about maintaining a node <laughs> um, or you can, and, and you earn like block rewards from that, uh, transaction fees, et cetera, or you can um, participate in the DeFi ecosystem by, for example, like, you know, um, putting, depositing your FTM in a contract, collateralizing it, generating, for example, like other cryptos out of it, or, or like, for example, like stable coins, and then using that to, you know, lend, borrow, farm, et cetera, in the DeFi ecosystem. What um, liquid staking does is that it kind of takes, like, it allows you to kind of do both. So um, you can stake and you can also participate in DeFi because what happens generally is that you would stake your FTM into um, a validated node and then you generate like basically a separate token um, that you need to redeem in order to unstake your tokens, SFTM or whatever like a derivative of FTM, right? And then now you have this like FTM representation of your, you have this derivative that represents your staked FTM, and then you use that, you know, to participate in like the DeFi ecosystem, that sort of thing. Um, so the real benefit there is that now you get kind of like two sets of returns, or you get like added utility rather than having to like choose between the two. There is one big disadvantage though with liquid staking, and that is your network becomes a bit less secure because you need to have a slashing mechanism in place for nodes that, according to network parameters, don't behave very well. Um, because otherwise you suffer from what's known as the nothing at stake problem, right? <laughs> and then your network isn't really secure because then people you know, um, can act maliciously on the network and suffer no penalties for it. With liquid staking, what happens is that, you know, because like part of your stake can be used for DeFi, it means that that part of the stake um, wouldn't, um, uh, wouldn't, be able, wouldn't be slashable, right? And so your network security does go down. But the question is like, to what extent is that an acceptable level? So if it goes down a bit, but you get a lot of benefits from you know liquid staking, being able to participate in DeFi protocols, then net that's like a huge positive for the ecosystem. So you know our original idea with liquid staking was with SFTM, you know you'll generate um, FTM. Uh, sorry, you'd stake your FTM, you'll generate SFTM, and then SFTM you'd um, be able to generate like a certain amount based on your F. Um, FTM and then use that to collateralize and to generate say like FUSC or stable coin that you could participate in the, in the general, in, in the fandom DeFi ecosystem. Now we're kind of stepping a bit back from like SFTM because fortunately there are ecosystem providers that are providing the same sort of service. So as you mentioned, you know, like, like Lido is one that like provides services say like with Ethereum on Phantom, there's like Anchor, um, there's Beefy, there are others that are coming along. And so, there's going to be like an ecosystem of um, liquid staking providers as well that people can kind of choose from and you know, get, get that sort of benefit. And that's going to be like run independently from the foundation or just have that foundation involvement in terms of how you actually integrate with the state um, FTM. So um, that's, that's basically liquid um, staking in a nutshell. The benefits, disadvantage of it as well, though, 
Um, but yeah, that, that's what's happening right now on Phantom. So be, besides the liquid staking SFDM on Phantom, you also welcome like uh, third-party liquid staking providers to, to the chain or like you, you want to step back from SFDM and also bring others on board or what's the agenda there in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, generally whenever the ecosystem can add value or whenever like participants in the ecosystem can add value to, you know, users, Uh, to the ecosystem as a whole, that to us is a real plus, right? Whether it comes to liquid staking or whether it comes to, say, NFT marketplaces or whatever it might be. So the fact that, um, you know, a number of um, uh, participants uh, are looking to offer, like, liquid staking, like, as I mentioned before, like, Anchor and Beefy are just two of them that, like, recently announced, and there'll probably be more coming. You know, that, that's really, really good because then it's just a community that's sort of come together to offer this sort of service to users um uh, you know or, or the fandom ecosystem so for us that's a big benefit and so you know whenever the foundation can kind of uh, take a step back and just focus on its core technology you know the core middleware you know the core development the middleware development etc and, and, and leave other applications to the community that's that's that that's always a great thing because that's exactly the position that we want to be in you know we, we don't want a foundation running like everything, like running like phantom name service or running liquid staking or, you know, like running all like applications and features on the chain. We want to have it as much community driven as possible. Just like with Ethereum, how, you know, you have the Ethereum foundation there, they're working on underlying technology. You know, they have some influence over the network, of course, but largely it's left up to, you know, just people in the community, developers that are building, you know, great applications and kind of taking the chain forward. And that's the sort of position that, the Phantom Foundation also wants to be to the Phantom ecosystem chain. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And, um, you know, having other contributors from the community, you can also benefit from the network effect that creates as well. And ultimately, your network becomes uh, more fulfilled uh, when you have more contributors like that. It, it, exactly. But that's how you get exponential growth, where two people tell four people, tell eight people, et cetera, rather than, rather than linear growth, where it's a foundation, you know, approaching projects one after the other. So we obviously want to have the exponential growth. And that's exactly why we have this sort of like strategy that we do at the moment. Okay. And getting back to liquid staking with SFTM, um, what have you noticed in terms of user behavior uh, post-launch? What's the biggest takeaway after uh, post-launch of SFTM? Um, the biggest takeaway is that people would definitely do want to participate in it. <laughs> you know, if you're someone who, you know, is staking, and you want to also participate in DeFi, you know, here's kind of your opportunity to do it. Um, you know, you, you can earn like like pretty good uh, rewards participating in consensus, which of course is very critical to protecting the network. Um, but now if you want to participate in DeFi, uh, you can do that too. So, you know, not everyone who's staking would participate in liquid staking though, um, um, because it, um, there's still a risk with liquid staking because obviously, you know, um, the tokens that um, uh, that you participate in DeFi with these like derivative like FTM tokens, you know, if they somehow get lost or you know, get liquidated or something like that, then yeah, you still have your staked FTM that's earning rewards, but you won't be able to unstake them until you pay back the debt. So, you know, mm -hmm. even though liquid staking offers, you know, uh, great functionality to FTM holders, there still is additional risk, which is that DeFi risk to the staked FTM. So, you know, we won't see like like everybody 
who are staking, participating in liquid staking, but we would see like a good proportion of them. And it's kind of like early days right now. You're going to uh, uh, give like specific numbers, but, you know, it'll be curious to see over the next few months, you know, how many people actually like participate in liquid staking. I don't think it will be the majority, but it would be like a significant minority. Cool. Can, can you give us like a quick overview or like a, uh, just like what's the current landscape of SFDM utility in other DeFi applications? Like where can you use it and uh, how much is that being utilized? And like, where, where do you see, um, where, what are the current biggest use cases basically for SFDM? Yeah. So th th this is one of the um, things that the foundation like hasn't done very well. <laughs> so we actually like announced liquid staking like months ago. Right. And we do have this like, SFTM liquid staking contract where people who stake the FTM can generate SFTM. And then with the SFTM, it's not like an ERC20 contract. It's like kind of like a its own special contract. And you need that um, in order to like stop um, um, in, in order to still have a slashing mechanism. Because if, some, if someone generates 100% of the SFTM and then no gets slashed, would they still have that SFTM that can be redeemed for FTM? Um, and so with that SFTM, you were able to collateralize it at about like a 300% collateralization ratio to generate FUSD. And then FUSD, which is like a uh, native token on Phantom, you'll be able to participate in DeFi protocols. So that was the underlying idea. However, we didn't really execute S um, um, FUSD that well, um, which is why, um, you know, it's on the peg. Um, we have, the, the, there is uh, uh, somebody in the community who's made, a, I think, a pretty strong proposal to kind of take over FUSD that will be announced Uh, fairly shortly, probably maybe even this week or the or the, or the following week. Um, and so, you know, that um, ecosystem team, you know, would be able to like help support FUSD such that, you know, people would then be able to um, take advantage of having SFTM because uh, using SFTM at the moment doesn't really get you that many benefits um, because, you know, there, there aren't like um, uh, DeFi protocols that are using FUSD, but in the future, there might be able to use FUSD, particularly we have like auctions and liquidations um, for FUSD to make sure that the price kind of stabilizes um, at, 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 at $1 per um, FUSD um, because it's kind of like a debt-based stable coin similar to like the way that DAI works or Unit Protocol works or, or so, how, how like some of these other like um, debt-based stable coins work. So right now there isn't that much functionality, but I think there will be in the future. Um, there's also more functionality coming out um, with other liquid staking providers, like, like as I mentioned before. So that's very exciting to see. Um, you know, I think Anchor and Beefy just announced like a week or two ago. So kind of like, again, like early days to see what data is available. But I think in a few months, we'll know like what sort of like usage they're getting. Yeah, very exciting. And we'll stay tuned to see the developments of FUSD and uh, the additional utilities coming out down the line here. Um, so put yourself in the mind of a developer. Uh, what's the incentive for developers to build on Phantom today compared to other chains? Is there a grant program or what kind of incentives do you have in place? Yeah, there is a grant program at the moment uh, for DeFi entities projects. Um, it has to do with like usage, with TVL, you know. So if you deploy a project on Phantom, you get enough traction, you know, um, you basically get uh, monthly um, FTM incentives uh, that are designed to um, uh, support like the project. So for example, like used for like, you know, like, 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 uh, like providing like staking rewards, you know, as a DeFi project, just to give an example. So, you know, there is like that 
um, incentive program in existence at the moment, which we may like modify over time. But more generally, you know, you're tapping into like a very strong ecosystem, you know, with over like 2.4 million unique wallet addresses with hundreds of thousands of people probably on average, like using it on like a monthly basis, having processed over like 200 million uh, transactions since the chain launched on on the end of 2019. Um, so there's like a lot of users and there's all people who know how to use um, uh, the Phantom Network, particularly with DeFi, um, because it's because how you use the Phantom Network as a user, it's very similar to how you use, say, the Ethereum Network. Um, because all the smart contracts are kind of written um, in the EVM. So the way that you write, compile, and deploy smart contracts on Ethereum works the same way as on Phantom. So our pitch has always been to people developing on Phantom that, you know, if you know how to develop on Phantom, sorry, if you know how to develop on Ethereum, you know how to develop on Phantom. And, you know, you can take advantage of faster, cheaper consensus where instead of, for example, paying $100 or $200 for a swap, you may be paying, you know, 50 cents or a dollar in comparison. So it's like um, orders of magnitude cheaper and you only need one block confirmation in order for your transaction to be confirmed. So, you know, it's not based on the longest chain rule. It's not based on like, okay, you need five or six blocks after the first block, it's mine. It's, you know, as soon as you get two thirds plus one, the total validating power of the network, your transaction is confirmed. And blocks are usually produced in actually about like 0.8 or 0.9 seconds currently. And so because the network runs um, processes transaction asynchronously, it means that it can um, process transactions or process blocks multiple blocks simultaneously. So that's very different, say, from like Bitcoin or Ethereum, where you process blocks sequentially. One block has to be mined at a time, followed by another, followed by another. For the Phantom Network, it's completely different. Multiple blocks can be uh, confirmed simultaneously around the same time. And then we have a series of algorithms that get you that final ordering of transactions. Um, so, you know, this is an underlying technology that benefits, you know, people that want to develop on the network. And it's all about, you know, fast transactions, cheap transactions, and also, Secure transactions, of course. Cool. So, how do you think will like the Ethereum merge, if it's going to happen, like in the next months or like within this year or whenever? Um, how is that going to impact Phantom and like the developers developing on your chain and so on? Like, because obviously Ethereum is going to be much more scalable and faster as well. Um, like, yeah. Like, how, how do you see that impacting Phantom? Um, so when you mention like Ethereum merge, I, I assume you're talking about like like ETH 2.0, right? Or yeah, like, I mean ETH is yeah. 2.0, yeah. Like yeah. once yeah. yeah, once they deploy sharding and like everything will move to the um, yeah ETH two basically. <clears throat> yeah, the thing about Ethereum is that I'm, I think you know the, the development timelines I, I, I never like as what they initially state or indicate that, that they're going to be like. And, you know, I'm not saying that like super critically because this is like very like difficult technology to work with, right? Like very difficult technology, you know, to, to kind of like improve, to increase scalability of just because of the amount of moving pieces, the complexity and the fact that, you know, there's billions of dollars, say on Phantom and of course on Ethereum, there's many more billions of dollars in TVL and activity and that sort of thing. So like all of this work is very hard. Um, so with Eve 2.0, you know, I, I don't think it's going to come out anytime soon. And I think in the past, you know, Ethereum has experimented with different scaling solutions. So I don't know if you guys remember back in 2017, there were kind of like two layer two solutions that were very often talked about that you don't really hear about anymore. Um, there were Radiant Network and there were Plasma. And Radiant Network was supposed to be like a light, like like the Lightning Network to Ethereum, just like the Lightning Network is to Bitcoin. And Plasma was supposed to be um, 
you know, some like layer two kind of sort of like similar, like sharding concept, but not exactly sharding. And those two like didn't really work out um, for like a, for like a number of different reasons. Right. So, you know, I think if 2.0, those definitely like a lot more solid because they thought a lot more about it. That being said, I don't think it gets as scalable as like other layer ones out there, like such as Phantom, because you're still processing transactions synchronously and sharding is like a very difficult problem. And so, I think like even though it, even if the Ethereum network gets more scalable, uh, I mean the current environment that we see right now and also going into the future is that they're going to be like multiple layer ones, right? There won't be like like ten layer ones or twenty layer ones, but there'll be like a few layer ones, so like three or four. And like Fandom's objective is kind of like stay in that uh, you know top category and to be leading that top category. And one area that Ethereum like hasn't really focused on, which is kind of interesting because there have been proposals and a lot of discussions around this. But like I've seen these like EIPs kind of be rejected. <laughs> it's kind of fixed. It's kind of like fixing the gas model, and more importantly, fixing the smart contract execution model because the the performance of the EVM and other tools related to EVM is is very very limiting. So on, for example, like the Phantom network, as you'll see on other networks, um, the EVM limits your network throughput by a factor of, of over 90%, right? So without the EVM, you can do 90% more transactions. And we've seen that on, on Phantom. For example, like, you know, we've done internal testing where we get easily tens of thousands of transactions per second. No problem without the EVM. But once you add the EVM in there, you know, you get only like a few thousand transactions per second um, possible. And the reason is because of a lot of inefficiencies with the EVM. Now the EVM is, is great because it was built in 2014 it was the first smart contract execution engine. It still works well, obviously, because people can deploy smart contracts on there, but there's a lot of inefficiencies on there. So what Phantom is working on is kind of replacing, eventually replacing the entire middleware stack, um, you know, with our own FEM, with our own kind of like tool sets, with our own sort of ways of reading and writing data um, from the nodes to the network. And with those, we've identified those problems by a lot of research we've done, you know, academic research at the University of Sydney and Yassi University. And we know the solution to a lot of these problems. Now it's a matter of execution. So we can execute these problems over the next couple of years really, really successfully. You're going to see like Phantom's network vastly more scalable than it currently is. And that's really no exaggeration. For example, if you replace um, the way that reads and writes are done um, with the EVM, on chain um, with a new data structure, you can literally get like a four or five times performance increase on some of these more complicated smart contracts that are uh, getting executed in particular related to DeFi. So that's already like a huge benefit that we've studied and identified and that we have already like a solution to. Um, it just needs to be engineered. So, you know, a lot of discussions have been on scaling, you know, layer ones, helping to scale, scale layer ones with layer twos. But I think what a lot of people are missing is that there's actually another part of the layer if you're a smart contract platform, which is scaling out the smart contract execution engine. And that's what differentiates, I think, Phantom from other projects is that we're really focused on solving that problem because that is a major, major problem. It's probably like one of the biggest scalability problems out there is how do you actually make the middleware or the virtual machine much more efficient? It's not just about consensus. I think it's a mistake when people say, oh, we just need to scale consensus. Yeah, we need to scale consensus, but you have to also scale other parts of the ecosystem. Otherwise, you're still going to have that limiting factor no matter how good your consensus is. Absolutely. And you talk about uh, the scaling for the middleware. Have you ever thought about getting rid of EVM in its entirety? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that is exactly the plan. A hundred percent. We're going to replace the EVM um, with, I won't get into all the technical details, but like a register-based machine that generates um, proofs on the fly uh, for people who compile it, compile to it. So right now the EVM, you know, it doesn't give you any feedback, you know, as to the correctness of your programming language. We want to, we're designing an EVM that gives you that level of correctness that tells you mathematically that your smart contract has or doesn't have particular vulnerabilities. And I think that's a very powerful tool, tool in terms of like having better smart contract security. And in terms of performance, you switch to a register-based machine, you, you, you switch to a different way of reading or writing data. You switch like many different components um, with the middleware, you get vastly better performance as well. And so again, like we, we identified this, these problems, we are working with people who literally have decades of experience in virtual machines and programming languages who in, 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 you know like the very like specific details related to um you know how smart contracts get executed for example like we're, we're, we're working we're working with a professor from the university of sydney who spent five years studying the evm so you know he's a professor that has decades of experience not just uh, uh, like working with uh, the virtual machines and programming languages but he's someone who's very familiar with the with the phantom technology and very familiar with the EVM, so he, you know, he's been studying since the very early days, as I mentioned before, you know, over five years since 2016. I know it because I worked with him on studying the EVM and, and designing software to kind of identify uh, bugs in smart contracts by studying EVM opcodes. So, you know, I, that, that's what my background is. That's what his background is, is in it. That's what the background of other team members who are joining are in it. So I think we have the right team to kind of like um, execute um uh, like uh, a new middleware stack and really bring that the, and really be the first people to bring that to the market. That's awesome. That's really exciting to hear. Um, and I think it's a, it's a big thing um, for you to start with EVM, which is probably a great idea and then moving away from it. And I think the advantages are like you already touched on it. Uh, maybe you can sum that up again, like the, the advantages of it, like in terms of like making it more efficient and so on. And then are there also like any disadvantages when you like move away from EVM and like what, what, what is the trade-off there kind of? Yeah. So the reason why like um, Phantom started off with using the EVM uh, was really for like very like practical commercial reasons. So, um, you know, Phantom started in 2018, we had to rebuild the team and with the new team, you know, we started working on, you know, AVFT, right? And the hardest problem for AVFT is how do you get the final ordering of transactions across N number of nodes um, when transactions are being submitted asynchronously and being processed like around the same time, right? And how do you do that also in a fault tolerant manner? Um, because you obviously has to be Byzantine fault tolerant. And, and in addition to that, how do you do it in the fastest possible way? So we've had like all these criteria in order to work on ABFT. And so it took a lot of time to work on. So it took more than a year and a half to kind of like design a solution. And then it's like, okay, we've got the solution now, or at least we've got the first iteration of it. Um, how do we actually bring this to market? You know, this is great. We've got this piece of technology, uh, how do we actually get users? Well, what do we want to build? We wanted to build a generalized smart contract platform from the beginning. Um, the easiest way for us to, to have done that was to integrate directly with the EVM because you know, the EVM is something that already works that um, you know, people have deployed smart contracts to, that people are familiar with. And so you know, if our pitch is to get um, uh, developers from Ethereum, you know, um, starting off with the EVM is a natural choice because one, it's a familiar development environment and two, um, 
it's something that already kind of works out of the box, so to speak, right? Um, even though there's a lot of inefficiencies. So for those kind of like two practical reasons, we decided to launch with the EVM to begin with. But it's always been our intention since we started this middleware research back in 2018 um, to eventually replace the stack. Um, so in terms of disadvantages, there, there is only one disadvantage I can think of, and it is um, backward compatibility. So, you know, it was switching from like one um, middleware stack to another. So we're, from, we're, we're moving from the EVM middleware stack to the Phantom middleware stack. You know, there has to be some sort of transition. And so we've kind of talked about two solutions in terms of backward compatibility, how we do it. You know, one, do <laughs> we get nodes to kind of like, you know, run two like virtual machines and then all code before like a certain block number, you know, runs from the old EV, uh, on the old uh, virtual machine EVM and then all transactions or blocks afterwards run on the new um, EV, uh, new virtual machine. You know, there's a lot of advantages because one, it's not, you know, it's not very hard to implement. Um, however, the big disadvantage is that, is that you know, nodes would have to run two um, uh, sorts of software. So it, it like adds a bit of complexity. The other, the other way that we can do backward compatibility is if we recompile and you can, you can prove like, you know, the correctness of all the data and all the outcomes in the end, you know, via some mathematics. If you recompile um, all of the transaction history, all of the smart contract trans transaction history with the new virtual machine, and you kind of like do a hard fork of the chain. And then so people just run the new uh, virtual machine, you know, across the new chain, that can also work. One of the disadvantages though, is that that's more difficult to kind of execute. It's more tricky because you have to do like an entire hard fork, fork of the network. So that is a disadvantage. In, in terms of other disadvantages, there aren't really that many because our intention is to um, write the compiler from Solidity down to um, the founder virtual machine. So from a developer's perspective, you know, they won't have to, you know, learn a new language. They won't have to like, you know, learn a lot of complicated stuff. All they need to do is download like a new tool chain, download a new virtual machine, the founder virtual machine, and then interact with that new virtual machine by running different series of instructions or different like flags. So from a developer's point of view, it's minimal learning, but at the same time, they get all these benefits because they run on a much virtual, they run on a much, uh, faster middleware stack. And in addition to that, you get proof checking. So not just proof checking, you know, in terms of like at the Solidity level, like with SafeMap and all of these like kind of like Solidity functions, but you get proof checking more importantly at the virtual machine level, which means that you have a much greater degree of certainty as to the correctness of your programming language, as well as all the speed uh, improvements that you that you get by this new middleware stack that I kind of like I've talked about. Um, so that's that's sort of like the plan at the moment. Yeah, and that's that has a massive impact. I think some of the community here in the chat realizes how big this is. You have Arm the Mistress here. Uh, are you guys hearing this? This is huge. I'd like to reiterate that this is huge. This is a massive development um, for you know, developing a new virtual machine there uh, from the middleware. Um, so how do you see competition, Michael, between alternative layer one chains and other native scaling solutions like Starkware, Arbitrum, and et cetera on Ethereum? Uh, what's your take on the competition between these? Um, so I think with the layer two solutions, um, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite interesting because there's kind of like a different approach to kind of like scaling up layer, like one layer one solutions. I do think though, that they have like a number of disadvantages. They kind of need to think about biggest disadvantage is that there's not much like decentralization because if you are running a layer two and you process transactions on the layer two, um, you know, 
and, and you're saying, well, it's a lot faster and stuff because you don't have to process the transactions on day one. Well, obviously that means that, you know, there's fewer computers or fewer people processing the, the transactions in the layer two, which is why it's faster, right? And so um, you need to find a way of kind of like, how do you incorporate the security of the layer one into the layer two in order for that to work? Now, there's some ideas about it, like with ZK rollups, for example, but that hasn't really, um, you know, come into play yet. That's still kind of like early days. And, you know, for example, we're kind of seeing with optimism um, when you, or Arbitrum, um, when you bridge um, the assets there, you can't immediately uh, take it back on the next block, right? You have to work, you have to wait like a lot of blocks or seven days, right? And the reason why is because if they allowed withdrawals back to the L1s too quickly, you could do all sorts of different behaviors and, and basically like kind of like rug like the L2, right? But if you have that buffer of like, say seven days, it becomes a lot harder to do. But that's sort of like a big disadvantage though, you know, Having layer two assets stayed on the layer two. Well, what happens if something happens with layer two? Then you kind of don't have that layer one security and you're kind of screwed, right? Until seven days have passed by and you withdraw your funds back to the layer one. So, yeah, I think it's a, another like kind of like interesting approach to scalability. Uh, it's still something that's kind of up in the air. Uh, for Phantom, we're not really focused on layer two scaling, we're more focused on layer one scaling, you know, with, for example, like the core consensus or the middleware technology that I've kind of talked about. Um, I saw a question there about the SnapSync timeline. I can tell I can I, I can tell people right now, uh, SnapSync upgrade is been up is been rolled out to the mainnet right now, beginning with non-validating nodes. So these are nodes that don't participate in consensus, but still need to sync up with the network. Um, and then afterwards, it will be with validating nodes as well. So there's an article, there's a technical article coming out, kind of illustrating um, a few of the immediate um, technology improvements that are coming, which are vast improvements in network. One of them is SnapSync. Uh, they'll go into a lot more detail. But yeah, the SnapSync upgrade is being rolled out right now as we speak on the mainnet. Um, it's or, it's already kind of public. And so, for example, th there'll be a lot of benefits to that. So for example, obviously with the sync times, there'll be a fraction of what they are right now. So on the testnet, uh, sync times were um, before um, SnapSync, a full sync was 40 hours. With SnapSync, I think it was about eight or nine minutes. Um, so we'll see similar benefits for the mainnet and there'll be stats coming out for that as well. And so with faster sync times, it means that we can increase network throughput because one of the limiting factors for Phantom's technology is that the transaction processing is so fast that actually in some cases, nodes can't keep up because the nodes simply can't sync fast enough. And so we've had to kind of li uh, limit the network um, uh, throughput. But once we have snap sync in place across all of the validating nodes, uh, uh, syncing will happen much, much faster and so we should be able to increase network throughput by a lot, which means that we can start processing transactions a lot more and get gas fees lower and, um, you know, have more scalability. So that's kind of like the immediate plan right now, at least when it, when it comes to um, consensus. That's awesome. And yeah, uh, guys in the community also like keep, keep them questions coming. We'll address all of them in the end of the episode here. Uh, whatever you want to know from Michael or from us, uh, just drop it in the chat here and, and make some noise. Um, anything that you want to know, we'll talk about in the in the end of the episode here. Um, and then I, I was wondering, Michael, like, have you thought about the the difference there, like from like layer two scaling and then Phantom, like, and then there's like the Cosmos ecosystem, which kind of which has that like let's call it like atomic uh, composability, um, like you don't have the trade-offs from like a layer two scaling. On Ethereum, um, and 
you you have like your own chains and so on. Have you ever thought about like integrating with like a uh, with the Cosmos ecosystem, for example, or what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean that's something that you know, um, it's totally possible. I mean, um, back in twenty nineteen or slash early like twenty twenty, you know, we did kind of exper um, experiment um, connecting to the Cosmos SDK, and and that definitely and then that that definitely did work because. Um, the consistent technology for Phantom, um, you know, is kind of its own component, right? It's kind of its own standalone that we've integrated, you know, directly to the EVM, and then we'll integrate, you know, um, the consensus with the new middleware that's coming out. Um, so in terms of um, integrating with the Cosmos ecosystem, yeah, yeah, that is something that is technically possible. Is is that something that's like really immediate and, and on our roadmap that we're uh, very much focused on? Not really. That's not really our priority. Um, but if people are interested in doing that, they can go ahead and definitely do that. And the Cosmos team is interested in talking about it. We're definitely interested in having those conversations. But again, you know, because there's only a limited amount of time and limited amount of resources, but so many different problems and and things that we can kind of like um, experiment experiment on. Our 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 kind of focus is narrow. You know, it's focused on the consensus improvements. It's focused on, for example, when it comes to consensus, like we're starting to investigate. You know better ways to do uh, P2B communication, um, investigating our own uh, versional sharding as well for ABFT. And on the middleware, you know, it's kind of the stuff that we talked about. It's really just those sort of areas that we're really narrowly focused on because it's a lot of work there. <laughs> there are a lot of problems that we've kind of identified. And, you know, we don't want to kind of spread ourselves too thin about working on, you know, let's work on layer twos, let's work on roll-ups, let's work on integrating with other, um, you know, uh, so-called, I guess, like parachains or IBC that is out there. Let's just focus on a, 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 a narrow, you know, band of massive technology improvements. So that's what the plan is on the technical side of things. Cool. That's that, that's great. Fair enough. And uh, like, so there, there was a lot of buzz uh, recently. It was like Andre Cronier. Uh, leaving crypto in general and like obviously he was an advisor to phantom as well and like being involved with the project since very very early on um how, how does that um affect you guys at like phantom or like phantom foundation um what's the what's the takeaway there um yeah i, I guess that's something a lot of people probably uh would like to know in the uh in the comments here as well like um yeah what's the what's the impact there of andre cronier leaving basically well, I still take. Well, I still talk to Andre a lot. Um, I think you know when it comes to like you know our technology improvements and you know development of the ecosystem, not not really that much actually changes <laughs> because you know uh, you know contrary to a lot of myths that are out there, you know Andre was not a core developer, right? And Anton Anton is not even like a like a um, distributed systems engineer. He's not even like a blockchain engineer. He's He's more of like a front-end, like web application-based, like engineer, right? So he wasn't working on the consensus at all. And so, you know, in terms of like technology improvements that are coming out there, there's been absolutely no change in the timeline um, because there simply wasn't anything to hand over uh, because Andre wasn't involved in that. You know, Andre was involved in some like initial discussions about an experimentation, you know, uh, with Phantom's core technology back in 2018 and 2019, but that was like almost three years ago. You know, since then, his main focus has really been on DeFi, you know, as people kind of like know, and, you know, launching a variety of DeFi applications and kind of talking about it and, and like the innovation in the space. Um, 
you know, I think there are a number of reasons why fan, um, why Andre sort of has taken the step back, you know, from being public um, that I kind of won't, won't, won't get into because some of the conversations are kind of a bit private. Uh, but fundamentally for Phantom, like nothing really changes. You know, we, we have, you know, tremendous number of transactions on the chain. You know, I've heard of not a single project that's come to us or that I've heard, you know, via my uh, different channels that have said, oh, you know, we decided not to deploy on Phantom anymore because like Andre isn't like, uh, like, like publicly there anymore. You know, I haven't heard anybody say that. Um, you know, we're still working with, you know, all the projects that we were before and people are still integrating with Phantom. Like a few days ago, um, Alpha Finance um, announced that they're going to be launching on Phantom. And Alpha Finance is a big, Alpha Mahora is a big project on Ethereum and they're coming to Phantom. And, you know, we had like other announcements like with Anchor, with Beefy about liquid staking. And there's a lot more ecosystem announcements, announcements in the pipeline that we're scheduling announcements for. So like fundamentally, nothing has really changed about the project. You know, the technology is still there. It's still be ABFT. There are a number of things that we're working on there. There's a lot of middleware development that's that's um, that's happening as well. Um, so we're just going to continue doing that work. Now, sort of like, you know, of course, like Andre has like a big following and there's sort of like, you know, the whole narrative around Andre, um, you know, I, I think we've got to step away from like, you know, narratives about like one individual and, you know, narratives about Andre or, you know, if it's narratives about me or narratives about whoever, and really just think about like the underlying technology and the chain that we have at the moment. You know, Phantom's come a long way from 2018, you know, basically having nothing and you know, having a lot of problems after the ICO, you know, to a chain now that's one of the most, you know, popular smart contract platforms out there. Um, that That's a really, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a really important thing to me. And that's something that the whole, you know, foundation team is 100% committed on. You know, the, the, the devs have, you know, despite, you know, kind of like the drama, you know, that's been going on, you know, in, in the community, et cetera, you know, the devs have not made a single word or statement about it, nothing. You know, they, they've continued doing exactly the same work that they've been doing. Um, and in fact, they started to work faster because we've, we're onboarding more people. Um, and, and just one final thing, you know, it is very, very unfortunate, um, the tweet that Anton gave out because it was misleading, it was not accurate, it caused a lot of problems for Phantom, as well as like other projects out there. That's what really caused a lot of the uh, turmoil that you that you've been seeing going around for the past week. And so, you know, it is sad that you know one tweet has caused this many problems. You know, not just for Phantom, but for other projects that you know Andre and you know Anton have been involved in at some point. Um, but fundamentally, for any of these other projects, you know, just with any swap, like nothing changes about them. The any swap team have had their own team that I know personally very well. They're extremely competent. They, they recently fixed a, a major bug with their ecosystem uh, very fast and very professionally uh, uh, back in January that um, people, like researchers that I've worked with before had identified and fixed. And so, you know, that team has built, is, uh, are the people that have built the underlying technology for years. So it's not Andre that, you know, built the underlying technology. It's not Andre that runs 25 project had, 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 had um, you know, been running 25 projects simultaneously. You know, no, no one individual can do that, right? Andre played a big role in constructing those teams, in advising those teams, but he wasn't the one that ultimately has been running these projects. It's the teams themselves. And it's the same thing for Phantom as well. Um, the team is still here and we're working faster and better than we were before. That's yeah. yeah that, that, that's great to hear. It's definitely the, the right focus there. And 
maybe you, you can give a, a quick intro like how de how decentralized is actually the the phantom developer team kind of like you have the phantom foundation and then like probably contributors and uh like how many people working there and like how decentralized is that in a way or yeah yeah so um you know in terms of like the phantom ecosystem is it's very, very much decentralized i mean you know virtually like every project that you see on the phantom ecosystem is just community driven you know it wasn't a foundation like reaching out and being like oh you know we'll pay you to deploy on phantom or anything like that because we don't pay people to deploy on phantom it was you know the people in the community that have found phantom that are found it on the internet and being like hey this is interesting technology you know people were talking about it people say you know there's interesting consensus you know I'm, i'm a developer on ethereum you know let's deploy on phantom you know, let's see how it goes and let's just launch, you know, a DeFi application or NFT application or whatever application it might be and just kind of see how it goes. And that's what's really led to the community growth because what happened in 2020, how we kind of took off is that um, there were two DEXs that launched on Phantom. There were some of the very first projects that launched on Phantom. There was SpookySwap and SpiritSwap. And in fact, SpookySwap is one of the largest DEXs in the world and it only runs on Phantom and it does a tremendous amount of volume. It's probably the most popular application on the phantom ecosystem and they had like user experiences that were so good that i think they were even better than like what they forked from which was uniswap and sushi swap and so you know these people you know got a lot of traction because the applications were very high quality and so users were attracted to them users were like wow you know phantom you know it seems like these um you know projects are really good you know doing doing swaps on them doing transactions on them It's so much cheaper than doing on Ethereum, which is getting more and more expensive over time. Um, let's, you know, let, let's start building stuff on, on Phantom, right? And then so you had more applications built on Phantom, which led to like more users, which led to more applications, which kind of led to the exponential growth that we have at the moment. So in the past two, two years, the growth has been like almost entirely like organic, which is like incredible to see. Um, on the Phantom core middleware development side, most of that development is being um, from the foundation, right? But we do actually have a lot of feedback from the community. I do have a lot of people messaging me and giving me feedback about kind of our approach to say middleware, kind of approach to core technology, giving advice, talking to our developers. And actually from time to time, you see GitHub issues being launched on um, on the Go-Opera code base, which is the underlying code base, which is all open source for the Phantom technology. And they give feedback as to like, you know, you know we need certain commands or how does this work or how does that work? So we even have a lot of community involvement on the core technology side. Now, it, obviously it's not as much as the general phantom community because it's you know, very specific knowledge, but we still have those like um, people with that kind of knowledge in the ecosystem that kind of help us out. I have a lot of private conversations with these people telling us how we can do RPCs better. And we've incorporated some of their feedback into some more announcements about RPCs we've got coming forward. We had ideas about you know core consensus tech, which you know the feedback was given to the developers, which are kind of like, Uh, taken on board as well. So on the consensus side, we also have community involvement, but the vast majority of community involvement is on the application side with the applications that are deployed on Phantom. I think that's what's amazing. This has all really been organic growth. The, the foundation is just there to help support and grow the ecosystem, first and foremost via technology, but then also encouraging people and kind of evangelizing like on, you know, on this podcast or, or this show and, and other shows, just really spreading the word about Phantom and the Phantom ecosystem and just saying to people, try it out have a look at it, play around with the technology. The technology that we have at the moment, yes, there are still limitations to it, but this is a baseline. So you can only get better from here on with improvements in the underlying technology. And so, you know, I just tell people, just 
um, you know, play around with Adam, experience it for yourself, see what it's like, connect it with Metamask, connect it with Coinbase Wallet, connect it with all these sorts of applications, and then just participate in the ecosystem, see if you like it or not. Yeah, really encouraging to see all the organic growth that's happened here. And I think that's one of the main success, success factors with uh, a chain, with the layer one chain, uh, that it can grow organically with applications, with the different teams joining in, that there is no incentive strictly from the foundation paying these teams to start building. They're finding their way into the ecosystem on their own. Uh, really encouraging words. So, Michael, looking forward to the future here. What are the next few big things on the roadmap for Phantom in the coming years? Um, we have a couple of sponsorship announcements that are going to be made uh this month we've also got a technical article going out um which is which is a little bit general as well just to kind of like help people understand exactly like how the um underlying phantom consensus works and how it's different from say ethereum <laughs> because there are some people still in the community that say oh yeah phantom is just like somehow a copy of ethereum which literally doesn't make any sense so we kind of explain in simple terms like how it's different and we've also got some really exciting news in terms of uh, a couple of team members that are joining us to kind of like accelerate the underlying technology, joining us full time um, to a hundred percent focus on just technology growth in kind of the areas that we mentioned. So those are the announcements that I can kind of tease a bit that are, that are coming out and, you know, they'll be coming out this month. That's, that's, that's really exciting. And I, I think it is truly like a, a very common misconception that like an EVM chain is the same as Ethereum. So, um i think this is something it's definitely worth talking about i don't know if you uh want to talk about it now or like we all wait for the announcement um but probably probably that's the, the better way to go um in in general like i would be very keen to understand better like your big vision for phantom so where do you see it in the next five years and we already talked about a lot here today with like uh, moving away from the uh, EVM and so on and like many different uh, scenarios, but like what's the grand vision and how does the world look like in, in which Phantom is ultra successful? Yeah, so I'm very, very bullish long-term on blockchain technologies. I, I, think the block, I think blockchain technologies will be as large as the internet is. I see no reason why it can't be. You know, with the, with the amount of like benefits you get from using P2P technology, whether it's like DeFi, NFTs that we talked about and also... Uh, another idea that I think is worth exploring, which is group-based insurance ideas, removing uh, the third-party insurance provider. You know, there's enormous benefits there that will just be as big as the internet. It's just a matter of time in terms of adoption, people knowing more about uh, blockchain technology, people knowing how to use MetaMask and other tools, as well as like a lot of technology problems that still need to be solved. And so technology problems that need to be solved are like on the middleware, on the core technology, and for Phantom, kind of my long-term vision is that we become like one of if not the biggest smart contract platform out there. And then we have the right technology stack that does it. You know, we have our own middleware stack that we can continue to improve on. We have our own um, uh, uh, client, like our own like uh, version of Geth client as well that's connected to the middleware stack. And we have like a vastly improved consensus engine that incorporates elements of sharding into it as well. And so that to me is how we get horizontal, horizontal scaling. That to me is you know, how we take blockchain technology from the few millions of users that we have right now, because it's still very, very early days, to literally like a billion users, two billion users, to as many users as, you know, use the internet these days. And so I think given enough time, these technology problems will be solved. They're not gonna be solved in one or two years, to be honest with you. They're gonna be solved probably in, you know, within the next decade. But once they're solved, blockchains will scale so much 
and there'll be so many people using them for much, for many more use cases than just currently what they're being used for. So very bullish, uh, you know, long-term on blockchain technology and also for Phantom, you know, we want to be part of that growth. We want to cap capture a significant amount of that growth, obviously. Excellent. And uh, not investment advice here, but in your mind, what is the best opportunity to earn alpha currently in the Phantom ecosystem? Um, you know, again, like I don't really give investment advice, but there's many of like DeFi opportunities out there. There'll be liquid staking opportunities as well. You know, it's all just a matter of like risk and reward. Um, you know, if you believe a project is undervalued, you might want to, you know, consider purchasing tokens in it. Um, I can only really speak generally though, um, because I don't want to give, you know, investment advice, obviously. Yeah. DYOR, of course, always. Definitely. Okay. So let's get into the community questions now. Uh, you've already teased some of the uh, announcements. Maybe you could just reiterate those announcements before we get into community questions uh, that are coming up this month here, Michael. Yeah. So we've got a technical um, announcement coming out on, on the immediate uh, technical benefits that have been rolled out um, as well as like a, like a kind of like a, like a, a description of like how founder technology works by like a couple of analogies. Um, we've got announcements of new team members joining that are working full-time with us, specifically on the technology. And we also have um, a couple of sponsorship announcements uh, that are going to be made as well. Um, so those are the things that are kind of in the pipeline for this month. That's awesome. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, that's, that's cool. And then we can move forward to the community questions. And uh, guys, if you have some more questions, uh, keep them coming. Uh, drop them now. Um, and... First one by uh, Jamie T. What happens to uh, SFTM if the underlying phantom gets slashed? Um, so the SFTM um, is still there, um, but you can only use the SFTM um, in limited fashion. So <laughs> that's why it's not like a generalized like ERC-20 contract. Um, <clears throat> you can only use it to generate um, FUSD, right? And um, that's only uh, at a, like a 300% collateralization ratio. So even though like you, you might have SFTM still around and, and your FTM is gone, um, the, only, the only thing you would have um, still worth something would be the FUSD that you've generated from it. Uh, because F SFTM is not tradable. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something that's like liquid. Um, and that's important because you need to have some sort of slashing mechanism or some sort of penalty in there as part of a proof of work, a proof of stake system. Otherwise you suffer from the nothing at stake problem, which means that um, when there's no risk of people losing their assets at all um, in a proof of work, in a proof of stake system, then you know, people um, you know, can perform what the network considers to be malicious activity and suffer no penalties from it. So it's a really big security issue. So in order to solve the nothing at stake problem, you need some sort of slashing and so that's why SFTM is kind of like a special token. It's not like a easily tradable ERC-20 token or anything like that. Awesome. And uh, next question here is from Benedict. And he asks, how does FTM think about mass adoption? Um, mass adoption really comes down to, you know, a better user experience, right? So how do we get faster transactions? How do you get cheaper transactions? How do you get more secure, secure transactions? Um, 
because that's what people like really care about in the end. Uh, you know, that's what the users care about. And that's what really helps the ecosystem growth. So the technology is all geared as to getting a better user experience and mass adoption for us is just like growing the community as much as possible. So the community has grown tremendously from where it was, you know, just a couple of um, years ago, you know, a couple of years ago, we were doing, you know, maybe a few thousand transactions per day. Now we're doing, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not like a million on, on some days. And so for us, it's just getting those numbers up, you know, getting more transactions, daily transactions, getting more wallets created um, on a daily basis, getting more applications on Phantom of high quality that people like really respect because like the more high quality applications on Phantom, the more the ecosystem grows. And so it's a win-win. So we have every interest to make sure that projects on Phantom succeed as much as possible. And that's why like, you know, Spooky Swap and Spirit Swap were very good projects from the beginning. And we got kind of lucky with them because those projects encourage people to kind of discover Phantom and to deploy on Phantom to, and really helped us kickstart the growth that we have at the moment. So mass adoption is just getting as many users as possible, getting as many daily transactions as possible, getting as many applications as possible. That's that's all it really is. Cool, that makes sense. Um, and we have a question here from George Valentin. He asked like three times on like a new all-in wallet. I don't know like what's that about exactly, but is there like anything? Um, like what's the wallet landscape currently in Phantom and are you working on any like all-in wallet there or? <laughs> yeah, so um, we have our own, um, uh, uh, we have our own wallet produced from the foundation. It's called the PWA wallet, um, you know, integrates with Ledger, integrates with MetaMask, uh, kind of like operates as you kind of expect like a wallet to do. So we've got, actually, we've got a new um, wallet coming out. It's in beta at the moment, so it, we're just testing it right now. But it'll be much better improvement on the current PWA wallet that we have at the moment. Um, to be honest, I can't really give a timeline at this point um, because we're still testing it out. But if everything works fine, it'll be out pretty soon. Um, so, yeah, there is an all-in-one wallet coming out soon, which will have a lot more functionality um, than the than the current wallet. And so, yeah, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, we'll, we'll do like a switchover. <laughs> Very cool. And next question here from Shiba Inu coin. Uh, how's your relationship with Dubai in the Middle East at the moment? Any advances in creating uh, the first smart city in Dubai? Yeah, I mean, as you guys are aware of, you know, we had a pretty successful pilot program in Afghanistan with the Ministry of Health. I mean, we certified like um, uh, thousands of, 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 of pharmaceutical products, generic pharmaceutical products going out of Afghanistan because they have a big problem of um, counterfeit products, even for generic drugs. Um, um, so, you know, we were very successful in that rollout in Kabul, but obviously with the change of government, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, it made working in the country untenable. Um, so we're not doing any work in Afghanistan anymore, very unfortunately. Um, we are talking to a number of different governments in the region, you know, for example, like Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, which are two very big Middle Eastern countries, but we're also starting to talk to uh, countries that are like in Europe as well. So there's some discussions in Italy, in Switzerland, which is great um, because these are, um, in some respects, uh, easier environments to kind of like navigate through um, because, they're, you know, they're, they're different governments um, in, you know, in Europe as a, compared to the Middle East. <laughs> um, but, you know, there'll be announcements coming there soon as well, hopefully like later down the track. But we are having active discussions with a few banks, um, with a few governments, 
and hopefully we can uh, like roll something out on the enterprise side. I mean, the, the big focus on Phantom is mainly on the on the technology and the community, but we do also explore enterprise ideas as well because I think they can also help grow the Phantom, e e Phantom ecosystem as a whole. So it's not our top priority, but it is something that we also are uh, kind of discussing and uh, and talk to governments about as well. That's cool, and it, and it bleeds directly into the question by Edgar here who's asking like, what's the best enterprise use case for FDM and is there a real world example that illustrates this? Um, that's probably exactly that, right? Um, I'd say a big like enterprise use case is supply chain management, you know, because if you, do, if you have to do a lot of transactions on the network, you know, IoT related transactions or re uh, transactions related to like a lot of physical goods, you know, the network has to be fast enough and secure enough that you can process these, trans these transactions. You know, for example, if you're doing certification of like millions of products, you need to be able to process millions of, tr of transactions. And, you know, not just process like on-chain transactions, but also process RPC transactions. You know, each time someone scans a product, it needs to you know, communicate with the blockchain. And so you need a network that's very scalable, that's low cost. And Phantom is you know, a blockchain that's definitely suitable for those sort of supply chain issues. Um, and we did have a successful example in Afghanistan, as I talked about, you know, I think we rolled out um, uh, tracking software to about 30 pharmacies in Kabul. And so people could download an app and they could scan a product that they bought. Um, it was um, a few products uh, from about three companies that were being imported from India into, um, into Afghanistan. And, you know, on a, on a daily basis, you know, we had a few thousand scans. So the people were scanning these products, really checking the authenticity to make sure they weren't buying counterfeit products. Uh, because counterfeit products, even for generic drugs, you know, you would think, oh, you know, maybe for painted drugs, it makes sense because there's a pain on it, right? And even for generic drugs where the painted has expired, you know, there's still, a lot of gen there's still a lot of counterfeit generic products, at least in Afghanistan, just because the standards are not, you know, the, 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 the quality controls are not very strong there. So people can like substitute in, you know, substances that you don't know what you're taking into some of these generic drugs, like things like, for example, like, you know, you know, like diabetic cream. And it's kind of like, it was surprising for me to hear because you wouldn't really expect it. And it's sort of like quite dangerous as well, because you don't know exactly what you're taking. With the supply chain solution we had in place, you would know what you're taking because at different points in the supply chain process and to the end user, you'll be able to scan the data um, to check this authenticity secured by on-chain data um, that it came from the correct manufacturer, that it came from specific manufacturers in India. Unfortunately, you know, th that project is no longer running um, because, you know, the Taliban are in control and there's no way we, we can do any business in Afghanistan since then. That being said, though, the technology is still owned by us. Um, since it was a pilot program. So we can take that this same technology stack and apply it in elsewhere. And that's exactly what we're trying to trying to do in other countries as well. Um, so the technology still belongs to us. It's not owned by, it wasn't owned by the Afghan government. It was in, owned entirely by us. And so we're just going to reuse that technology stack that we've already built for other uh, supply chain use cases. And the, uh, and the solution is generic enough, um, no pun intended, that um you know it can be used for you know all sorts of supply chain tracking not just for pharmaceutical products but anything that you know is physical in bulk so any like food stuffs groceries and that sort of thing the, the same solution can be used it, it's no different really yeah that's massive and I, I think everyone here can't wait to see it rolled out uh, for for a different application and another question here for Edgar. Uh, once all the FTM is in circulation, are there any plans to introduce deflationary features or will the supply be static at that point? 
Yeah, we're um actively exploring. I think it's um EIP if I if I got it correct one one five five nine. Um, so the deflation. Sorry, there's so many EIPs out there. I kind of mix it up sometimes. The the deflationary model that Ethereum um has in place. So that's something that we're looking at. Okay, very cool. And I think we just have one more community question here. Yeah. Um, there's one question from X Gamers when Felix Exchange and. Bro Miner just pointed out that it's not made by the foundation, but I don't know. Do you have any insights on Felix Exchange? Uh, yeah, so uh, as the guy mentioned, it, it, it's, it's not run by um, Founder Foundation. It's run by a big community supporter of ours called like, Harry Ye. Um, he was like, you know, completely independent of us, community member, big community member. So we appreciate that. In terms of Felix Exchange, I'm not really sure. Um, last time he told me was Q1 2022, but don't hold me to it because um, you know, timelines want to be updated then. I do know that they're actively working on it because I do know the people that are working on it. Um, so they have the sort of issues around your know, AML, KYC, the integration with Binance Power, that sort of thing. Um, but I can't really give you any more details than that, um, unfortunately. But it's not something the foundation is ourselves involved in. Cool. Thanks for the insights. And we have a triple zero user there asking us to buy the dip. Uh, but based on his comments, I don't know if there will be a dip after he's done buying. <laughs> okay. Um, Michael, it was uh, really good having you on here for the episode. Um, it, was, it was great asking all these questions and learning more about Phantom and Phantom Foundation. Uh, so how can people follow you and learn more about the stuff you're working on? Yeah. So like the best resource to go to is our website. It's phantom.foundation. Um, that has a link um, you know, to all of our socials, to um, a, a general description about Phantom, to description about the technology more in depth, you know, links to our GitHub, et cetera. So that's going to be an all-in-one resource. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at PhantomFDN. So at PhantomFDN, we have over 400,000 um, uh, followers there. Um, you can also follow myself personally, if you like, at Michael F. Kong. So that's my personal Twitter where I don't really talk about personal things. I just talk about phantom stuff. Um, so it's really kind of an extension of the Phantom Foundation account is, is a way to think about it <laughs> uh, currently. So yeah, follow us, you know, in Twitter, go to our website uh, and that's where the latest announcements are going to be. And that's where most of the information is going to be as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, everyone, this is Michael Kong, CEO and CIO of Phantom Foundation. And be sure to check out previous episodes of Staking Mondays. You can find these episodes on our YouTube channel and on Spotify. Be sure to uh, subscribe to our channel, smash that like button, and share this video around as much as possible, guys. Uh, so thank you so much for watching. And as always, happy staking. See you on the next Staking Mondays episode. Thanks, everyone, for your time. See ya. Thanks, guys.